morning, everyone. You know, it feels kind of strange to be back in church. Remember that song, Now You're Just Somebody That I Used To Know? It's, good. it's very familiar. <laughs> good morning to everyone. Special shout out to our house church. We're missing you. What I have loved about this season is that the church continues to move forward. That's it. We are forcefully advancing. And no amount of COVID or any other occurrence on the earth can stop. Well, it can't stop the presence and the power of God. It can't stop the message of the cross. And we are that message to the world. We're the message. So, you know what? The church is an unstoppable force because God is unstoppable. And I've just been so excited. I know it's been weird and strange and we haven't been able to come to the building in the same way. And, you know, I just worshipped at the front here and I was like, do I put my arms up? Are we allowed to do that? I think we are. Should we clap? Should I, I can't sing. No, I'm not allowed to sing. Can I mouth? No, I won't mouth just in case I'm going to do the wrong thing. It's not the same. <laughs> Thank God we can meet in homes. Thank God we can meet here. Jesus is everywhere that we are because he's in us. What an incredible reassurance we have. What incredible confidence that we can live our lives with. I'm so thankful for that. Anyway, we've been, um, Pastor Rick introduced this series uh, some weeks ago now called Building God and Altar. And uh, as I pondered this, I just thought, what, what do we have in our modern world that we could connect back to the altars that are introduced to us in Genesis? And, uh, you know, do you remember the Narnia film? Okay, it's 15 years old now. I looked that up online. I'm like, oh my goodness. There's a scene where Aslan gets sacrificed. And, and I thought maybe if we think of altars, we, we might think of that. Um, certainly something we could anchor it to. Or, or we could say maybe in a sentence that they worshipped, society worshipped at the altar of the internet. Right? That has certainly been the case for 2020. There's been a lot more internet because we've been confined to our homes um, we, we know there's, you know, a, I was going to say a plague of social media. <laughs> it's certainly pervasive in the amount of time people spend on it. Um, altar being places of, uh, a place of worship and a place where people give their focus and attention. So anyway, I went back through and, and I just said to the Lord, how does this idea of building God an altar relate to us right now? And what did you tell us back in Genesis? Because God's always introducing um, ideas and and um, and establishing patterns, and so I went back to Genesis, back to the original idea of sacrifice and altars. So if we go back there, what we understand in Genesis is that altars were built um, to commemorate a divine occurrence, and they symbolised communion with the Lord. And so if we look at that now, we're going, well, how are we building lives that facilitate us encountering God and facilitate lifestyles of discipleship where we are communing with God? You know, we talk about hearing from God. And look, God is not whispering to me 24-7. I know sometimes as the preacher, it can seem like, wow, they hear from God so much. <laughs> It's, it's not like I'm, I'm speaking all day and hearing an audible voice of God or anything like that. But 
I'm certainly being intentional to commune with God. I'm checking in with God. That's part of my normal. I don't want to do my day out of only what I've got going on in here. I'm telling you, it's not enough. (laughs) I want God communing with me through the day. So altars. All right, let's have a look at altars and what we know about altars in Genesis, that they were a place of um, commemoration and they were a place of sacrifice and communion with God. So... First animal sacrifice, and this isn't like a um, trivia, I'm going to tell you what it is, okay? (laughs) First animal sacrifice, for those of you that are racking their brains, we go back to Genesis, to the fall, when God um, gave animal skins to cover the shame and the nakedness of Adam and Eve. So first animal sacrifice. Then from there, we go to Cain and Abel, and we tend to focus on the murder of Abel, but for the purposes of this, what I want to highlight is that they were bringing a sacrifice to God, and they knew what they should do, and Cain didn't do it. So God doesn't go, well, go and do it. Oh, you did the wrong thing. They knew what they were meant to do, and Cain didn't do it, and that's why God did not look favorably upon him. We don't know the ins and outs or the details of that, but we do know he did not do what God required him to do. Then we go through to, well, if you could think about uh, Noah, Genesis 8.20. He gets off the ark. You know, the world is opened to him now. They open the door of the ark. The animals come out. And this is, it's, it's a, new, a new world. It's been destroyed. The flood has um, subsided. And now he's, he's coming into the new world with his family. And the scripture tells us that he builds an ark. All right. Now, one of the things about reading the scripture is we, we read it in a very linear fashion. So we think Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, you know, then you've got the Tower of Babel, then you've got Abraham, and it, it seems like all these things were happening in order. But what we've got to realize against the backdrop of, of these great stories of the patriarchs, there are people that are choosing not to follow God. So it's not just that... A godly culture is emerging on the earth with men like um, Noah and their families carrying that and men like Abraham. There are people, Adam and Eve's children, all the descendants, they're all multiplying. We've got generations upon generations upon generations. And now among the righteous on the earth that love God, there's also a whole lot of pagan worship of other gods that are not God. Sounds a lot like our current context, doesn't it? <laughs> it's amazing how Gen- we see, I just see so much of us in the book of Genesis where it all begins. So we see Abraham builds an altar, Genesis 12, Genesis 13. Um, we know he builds an altar uh, around Isaac and what God asks of him there. We know Isaac builds an altar um, as a place of divine encounter. We know Jacob builds an altar. And all these godly moments of encounter get contrasted with these pagan practices that were happening all around them. So let's have a look at um, the picture. I've got a picture to show you. That when we talk about an altar, this is a picture of a pagan altar. I took this in um, northern Israel. And what you see when you go to this particular site is just this excavated stone sort of half buildings they had to dig through 20 layers of history to get this to get to this and this is the kind of pagan altar that would have been around around the time of Abraham 
So when you look at this site, the first thing that you notice is the altar. You notice the time and the attention and the focus, and it's all around this altar, and it would have been used for human sacrifice. So this culture of idolatry was, ex it was fully operational at the same time that, that God was speaking to the patriarchs and creating these moments of covenant and communion and remembrance. And so we've got to... We've got to look at, look at what this was and the context around it. And, and as we go through the Bible, we know that the children of Israel, they worshipped, they, you know, they get freed from Egypt. They're worshipping other gods. After they get freed, I think, how could you worship another god after the miracles? But they do because our hearts are fickle. And because, you know, we may not worship golden calves, but certainly in my own life, I felt God sweeping the corners of my life and going, you need to look at that. Well, we need to look at that as I was preparing for this, because it's just so easy to have areas of your life that maybe aren't focused on God, where the altar that we're building isn't a place of communion with God. So fortunately for us, we go through the history of Israel, you know, they, they go into the promised land, they have a king. And, you know, it, it all goes belly up. The kings lead them into idolatry and to pagan worship. But God sends Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that because, you know, where the altar was a place of sacrifice, Jesus became the sacrifice for us. And, and he gave us a new and a better covenant that we can live from. So what I want to highlight this morning is three qualities of the altar's that we see in the book of Genesis that are very important for us to pay attention to today. And you can, you can pop the slide up. These are three things that I want to consider when we build God an altar. What was important to God in these early altars was the material that was used to build the altar, the quality of the sacrifice and the, on the altar, and the heart and intent of the person bringing the sacrifice. And I want to take those ideas, and the first one that we'll look at is the material that we use to build the altars. And you saw that stone altar before, so you've got some idea, even though it's a pagan altar, it wasn't like Abraham was taking selfies whenever he built an altar. Like they have to dig them up. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think that what God wanted from his people was the kind of elaborate structure. He wanted something plain and simple from them. And he says in Exodus 20, 25, when he's giving um, Moses the law, um, he says, make an altar out of earth or unhewn stones. Stones where nothing's been done to them. I want you to build out of simple materials. And those materials, stone and earth, are materials made by the hand of God. And the reason that he, he required this was because God knows that when we start building out of things that we make, where does our focus start to go? Yeah, we're all answering our own question right now, aren't we? We're just so easily distracted. Aren't we so easily distracted? And I was thinking about some of the, the language around, even we find it in Christianity. Well, this is my truth. My truth, my story, my journey, my pain. My trouble. We've got to be really careful. We don't start building altars filled with stones made of my things and my truths that are going to distract us from what the focus of building 
the altar is, which is the worship of God. We build this life of discipleship for the worship of Jesus so that when other people look at our lives and come into contact with us and, and the, the spill, the overflow of the love of God through us draws their attention to Jesus. And God wanted the patriarchs as they were building altars and the people when altars were built that they wouldn't focus on the stone and what it looked like and how, isn't this nice? And I thought I'd style it this way. He wanted it so simple so that our focus would remain on the main thing, which for us in our time is Jesus. That's where he wants it to be. He did not want us thinking that we could build an altar in any way that we could earn his favor. We can't earn it. We can't earn it. And he didn't want the patriarchs building in such a way that they thought, if I build like the pagans built, I'll build an altar bigger than the pagans. It'll be better. More people will look at it. That wasn't what he was after. That wasn't his focus. God wants us to prepare a life stone by stone for encounter with God. Every stone is a decision and every decision is where we allocate our time. When you think about for the patriarchs to go and gather stones for an altar, even an altar a lot smaller than the one that you saw on screen before, how much time it would have taken to go and gather those all up, to put it all together. It's a very intentional behaviour to do that, to get the earth, to put it all together. The materials that the altar of our lives are built on matter to God. And for us in this context, how we allocate our time, what we do with our time really matters to God. So my challenge with you this morning is, how is my time devoted to building a life that points my attention and the attention of others directly to Jesus? Oh, you know, Paul said to us, it is by grace you have been saved through faith so that none could boast, so that none of us could come along and go, didn't I build this spectacular altar? I'm worthy of being saved now, aren't I, God? God's going, no, no, that's not the focus. It's not about what you can do. It's about what my son did. Amen? It's really great having people here to amen. But if you're at home, I hope you're amening along, like chorus of amens. <laughs> okay, I'm sure you are. Um, my home church, if you're not, you're in trouble. All right. <laughs> the quality of the sacrifice on the altar. So, Genesis 4. Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice to God. We're not told about the altar itself. We're just told about the sacrifice. Cain brings the fruits, basically fruits and veg, and Abel brings the fat portions. Now, if I was God and someone offered me kale and turnip versus lamb, there's no question. <laughs> Cain knew what he was meant to do, and he didn't do it. He made the time for the sacrifice. That's a good thing. Is it not good on you, Cain? You made a time for the sacrifice, but you bought something that God didn't want. You didn't bring something that you beforehand thought, would this please God? In this moment, am I making a decision as I allocate my time to this that really pleases God? Um, we, we just moved house recently and we're living right near another ACC church. 
And uh, someone asked me this question. They're probably watching. <laughs> they said, did you think about leaving? And I'm like, sorry? Did you, did you think about leaving? I did not understand the question. I'm like, what do you mean? You know, changing churches, walking distance. And I'm like, sorry? You know, you can walk to that church. And the question stuck with me long after the conversation. I have never thought about church as something that's convenient. I mean, look, I, I can appreciate in different seasons of your life proximity to, to the church. Like, I, I get it. So I'm not, if you've made a decision on that basis, there's no judgment here. I do understand. But for us and for what we're called to, the location of the building has just not been a factor for us. When mountains, the, the first mountain service, we were living in St. Ives. So we drove from St. Ives to Falcon Bridge. But I didn't think twice about it. We've never been in the car going, oh, it's such a long way. I can't believe we're doing this. Why are we doing this? Sacrifice is meant to cost us something. It's part of our life as disciples. We make sacrifices. Now, the sacrifices that God's called me to make, they're going to be different from the sacrifices that God's called you to make. There's been times when, when in my, my life God's gone, I want you to give that money that you had budgeted for this, go and give it to that person. Really, God? Am I really hearing from you? Because I don't think I am. <laughs> Let me just pray and fast over that to be sure. All of us have different things that God is going to require of us, different sacrifices. But we live this sacrificial life. And I, I wonder with Cain, if he bought something to God without really thinking about what God was asking him for. And so he bought something that on the face of it probably looked good. Maybe he bought his best turnips and his greenest kale, but it wasn't what God wanted. So, you know, in this time, this season that we have where, you know, we're still, there's still a lot happening at home. Things are still slowed. They're going to pick up again, but they're still slowed. I just want to encourage you to think about, take this pause that we have on the earth to reevaluate. And think about what you're bringing. Is it sacrificial or are you doing it because you've always done it? Because it's not enough of a reason. It's not, you won't produce fruit, the fruit that God wants you to have, if you're just doing something because you've always done it. That's not the life of a disciple. We've got to be more intentional than that. And God required that. He required that of the patriarchs, that they would think about what they bought him. So, building God an altar, the quality of material, the quality the quality of the sacrifice. And finally, the third thing was the heart and the intent of the person at the altar. So, oh, I just, I, when I read this, I was like, God, I just love this so much. Noah in Genesis 8. So the earth has been leveled and Noah has spent all this time building the ark. The animals have been drawn to the ark and, and you think the time that the animals were on the ark, they would have multiplied and he would have had to make room for all of that. He gets off the ark and he looks at the new earth and his family is all there and they've been rescued. And he understands that he's been part of something incredibly redemptive. He's been spared. He's been part of the solution for humanity. And it says this in Genesis 8.20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and there he sacrificed burnt, as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice. And the Lord says, never again will I destroy the earth. I don't think animals 
at that time, I think he would have had to be very thoughtful about the animals. I mean, he's got the whole population that have got to reproduce now to fill the earth with animals. That's no small feat. But he brings the animals to God and he sacrifices what is precious before the Lord. So we know that he builds an altar and we know what that altar should look like. It should be earth and stone. I can't, you know, I can't get your photo of that. <laughs> but we know that what he puts on the altar is sacrificial. It costs him. It's what God is requiring of him. He's thought about that. But the final thing is it says that God was pleased. God smelled the fragrance of the offering. Now imagine that. Imagine if we built the kind of life before God where God looked at the fragrance, he smelt the fragrance of our life and he smiled. And he said, you know what? I am really pleased. And it's not about perfection. Noah was a sinner. <laughs> he wasn't perfect. None of us are perfect. We're redeemed by Jesus, but we're not perfect. Imagine if we could live a life where our heart and intent was so for the worship of God and to build the kind of life that God just smelled the fragrance of and smiled. And you know what? For those that like that, these little extra details, that story is this beautiful foreshadowing of the Mount Transfigur of Transfiguration when God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he would serve as an offering, a sacrifice for us. Okay, so Paul says this, Romans 12, 1 to 2. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in into it without even thinking. Another way of saying that might be don't build pagan altars. Be thoughtful about what you're worshipping. Be thoughtful about your time, your sacrifice and your heart. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops a well-formed maturity in you. Uh, you know, 20-year-old Chris, newly married Chris, uh, used to, I used to commute from Orchard Hills into the city every day to go and work at Ernst & Young. And my wonderful husband, whom I love with all my heart, we're newly married, he loves, he's, he's a composer, so he wants to be around music and he very generously bought these tickets to a series of concerts at the Opera House. And in his mind was, she'll finish work on Kent Street and we'll duck over and go and see a concert. Because, you know, that's kind of a fun adult, newly married thing to do. So, I love musical theatre, but I have had to learn more about classical orchestral music before I have fallen in love with it. And at 20, I was like, where is the pop music? Okay. <laughs> so, we get to this concert and it's at the Opera House. Now, we know it's beautiful. The view is beautiful. The Opera House is made of beautiful stones, is it not? It's just lovely. And we're sitting waiting for the concert to start and I'm thinking, I really need to multitask this moment because I don't know how I'm going to go sitting through this. So I did something that 
compelled a look of horror on the face of my husband that I have not seen many times in our marriage, but I saw then. Please don't judge me. I pulled out a book. <laughs> and I just thought, well, while the orchestra's playing, I'll read. Now, apparently, that is not okay. <laughs> 20-year-old me. I mean, you know, we, we've been to see Hans Zimmer conduct the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, anyway, 20-year-old me. After the look of horror, I thought, okay, I need to put the book away. <sighs> put the book away. You've got to give your attention to this. So I sat there and I gave it my time and lean in, lean in, Chris, lean into the music. And I've got to tell you, some of it sounded like the orchestra plus garbage tin lids being banged together. And I'm not a connoisseur of these things, unlike my husband who can explain the why and the wherefore, but he can't do that during the concert. Two words, you can Google them. John Cage, 4 minutes 33. It's an artistic piece, and for 4 minutes and 33 seconds, you sit in silence. That's the piece. What am I buying tickets for? <laughs> It did not go well. And you know, as much as I made time for this, and as much as I tried to lean in and give my attention to it, I didn't enjoy these concerts. Did not enjoy, had to, had to learn more, had to grow more. And, and you know, I, I've done that. But back then I just remember, oh, did not enjoy this when my husband's trying to do this beautiful thing for me and for us. We've got to be careful in our lives that those three things are present. That we're building time. We're building an altar out of time. And that time is thought out and intentional and focused on Jesus. We've got to build with quality materials. When we give our attention, let's give our full attention. Let's lean in. Let's be present. And look, I say that as someone, I can be watching church at home on my phone. And all those who are doing that right now are like... <laughs> I don't say this as someone who's got who's perfect, so not, but so aware when God puts his finger on something, when he whispers by the Holy Spirit. Final thing is that our heart, we can be doing the right things, we can be giving the right things, but our heart can be out of the equation. And that's not the altar God wants. He wants all of those things and nothing less because he is worthy of it. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray. Um, I would love our band to come up. That would be spectacular. And uh, I'm just going to pray and just seal the word of the Lord this morning. And I want to just encourage you, as you sit through the week with your homes and your families around the dinner table, have a conversation. Have a conversation. And start to discuss with your family, what are we giving our attention to? Where does our time go? How... What do you think God would say to us if he was looking at our life? What would he be pleased with? Are we pleasing him? And I mean, I don't know. But what I'm confident of is that if we do that with a soft heart, intentional to hear God, he's so gracious that he'll put his finger on whatever needs the hand of God on it. He's so good like that. And then he'll lead us from where we are to where he is. Amen? Okay, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in every home that is listening to your word this morning. God, I pray that 
that a real conviction will come. That conviction that that brings a new life and a new way of seeing things, that that will come into each person as they listen, as they discuss. Lord, for every family, I pray that we just be open to reevaluating in this season of pause. Are we building God an altar? Does our discipleship reflect the kind of discipleship that pleases God and points people to Jesus? Please show us. I thank you that you will if we ask you to. In Jesus' precious name, amen.